from Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW. This is the Pavacit. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to the Pavacit wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guest, please visit our website at thepavacit.com and check out our social media pages. Hi, listeners. Thank you for listening to The Pavacate. Today, we will be talking with Professor Patricia Lee, the Randy L. and Melvin R. Berlin Professor of Business Law, Director of the Business Law Clinic, and Executive Director of the Business Law Center. We'll discuss the Business Law Clinic, experiential learning, and the 7-Eleven license. The 7-Eleven license is authorized by the Illinois Supreme Court Rule 7-Eleven. The license allows law students and recent law school graduates to practice under the supervision of a supervising attorney. For more information about the 7-Eleven license, you can go to illinoiscourts.gov. Enjoy. Thanks for agreeing to do this. And just uh, tell us who you are. All right. Well, let me first also thank you for the invitation. And congratulations, uh, you know, in terms of all that you're doing in JDMBA. And I applaud any student that you know, knows about multiple disciplines. Uh, That's terrific. So I I applaud you. Thank you. So yeah, so me, um, well, I'm one of the newer faculty at Loyola Law. I started in July of 2019, literally months before the pandemic. Right, right. (laughs) Uh, So then, of course, we have that, but we continue to plug on here in the clinical world on on the 10th floor. Uh Uh, However, I have been a member of the faculty at various schools across the country. Uh, since 1998. Okay. And uh, now I teach the business law clinic class. The uh, There's two, or actually there's three. There's an entry level class for three L's or four L's, a second semester class if you wanted to continue, yeah. and then an LLM class uh, for students interested in, in experiential education. Okay. And I also teach uh, securities. I will be teaching securities regulation next semester. Too. Yes. And I am taking that next semester. And All I'm right. For it. Yes. <laughs> I saw that on the list. And, uh, you know, my, in my former career, I, I was a, um, I worked in um, investment management. So I had my securities licenses. Well, excellent. We'll have lots to talk about next semester. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, you joined, so you're the director of, and you're busy, it seems, because you're both the, the director of the Business Law Clinic and the executive director of the Business Law Center. Tell us what, what that means for your everyday uh, for, for our listeners. Oh, it is a busy day. I mean, the, the center is located on the 10th floor in the suite 1005. Mm-hmm. And in the center, not only do we house the clinical programs, but also uh, we administer the transactional law certificate that many students are are participating in. And we do programs. I mean, so you may see events from time to time, uh, like the recent uh, Society of American Law Teachers Conference or uh, Investors in the Rule of Law Conference and so business law conferences from from time to time. Uh, The Business Law Clinic, of course, you know, has a representation where students are actually working with both pro bono, not-for-profit, or for-profit clients. Excellent. Excellent. And that sort of is a great segue into why, you know, we have you on the show today or on the, why I'm interviewing today. And that's to talk about the 7-Eleven license. So I guess just to start with the basic, like what is the 7-Eleven license? 
Great question, Marcus. Um, so the 7-Eleven, it goes back at least 1985. Okay. And at that time, the uh, state allowed for uh, students who had completed over half of their credits in law school to be able to work with a state agency, a not-for-profit organization, uh, and provide pro bono services for clients. The, the Rule 711 does prescribe you know, the situation in terms of how you get the license, the procedures to get the license. It tells you what kind of agencies you could actually work for, right. uh, and also a little bit about the work that you can do. Yeah. Uh, so it has a long history, and um, many students have uh, participated in the Rule 711 and, and gotten a great experience from it. Right. So as the clinic director, for the business law, how many students do we see come through each year getting their 7-Eleven? Well, okay, so the business law clinic is a transactional program. And so our students don't go into court. They don't go to either state. Or oh, I court, see. So you right? only need the 7-Eleven license to go into court. Right. So typically it's you're going, students are in litigation context and most of the clinical programs uh, here at Loyola, do the students do get the 7-Eleven because they are going into either state, you know, they're going to the state course typically. Right. Um, and so, so they would actually get the license. I see. Well, that is good to know. So doing transactional work, you don't need the 7-Eleven license. Right. There in 2013, uh, there was a comment. Mm. And so it was to clarify that students who were not performing, they were basically were performing non-litigation legal services, it shouldn't be re required, uh, especially in the context of, for example, transactional pretrial and policy work. Gotcha. And so those could be done under, basically done under certain rules. Uh, and it's not the same as, you know, doing litigation, uh, doing petitions, motions, right. uh, briefs, complaints, et cetera. Excellent. Excellent. So if you, um, so doing transactional work then, so as a law student, if you were doing litigation, you need the 7-Eleven license. So doing transactional work then, once you graduate, so that time between graduation and the time between being admitted to the bar, can you still practice with clients because it's transactional work as long as you're under the supervision of an attorney? So what happens, like if a student, for example, we do hire public interest law students. Uh -huh. So they come in after they graduate. Right. I this last uh, for the last two years, we've had five public interest law students, and uh, so they are working under the supervision of a of an, a supervised attorney. And in our case, there's two of us here: yeah. myself and Professor McKay. We work with the students, and I think you know if they were hired by an agency, uh, potentially they could work in that environment, um, you know, as a clerk, as a as a summer law clerk, for example. Right. But most yeah. students are, you know, they're in that period where they need to take the bar. And so uh, it's, it's a short time frame before they actually will take the bar. Gotcha. Yeah, that's true. And I can't imagine many are trying to work what before they take the bar. That's for sure. <laughs> right. I know myself, I just stayed home and studied all day. That was all I <laughs> to do. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm preparing myself to do for, <laughs> for several weeks or months or however long. Um, I still have to go down that path and figure that out. Excellent. Tell us more then about the work that students do in the business law clinic. So they get client facing work. Do they choose their own clients? Do they get a pre prescribed list? Um, how does that work? 
So I'll tell you a little bit first about how the clinic works in terms yeah. of, so we have a companion class for each one of the clinical programs. Okay. And say a student for the first time, they will apply for 825. It's BLC 825, which is the first course. Mm -hmm. uh, when they come in, of course, we provide a full syllabi. So the syllabus, you know, is explains every week. In the week, each week, you know, there's the, the course, which is the companion course to the clinical work. And what we do is with the survey course, we hope to inform the students about, you know, the clients that they will be meeting literally on for the first day. <laughs> so, so we will have, we have a list and we have a list of existing clients. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have a list of waiting list clients. So depending on the numbers, each student will get a, a group of clients right. that they will be working with a whole semester. Mm -hmm. uh, so they come in, they, they take the class, which runs on Wednesdays for a couple of hours. And then they have clinic hours um, in the clinic here. They can do some work in the library. They can do work in a lot of different places because much of the work, we're talking about the representation of startup organizations, emerging businesses. They're yeah. starting up in our communities. Yeah. Some of them are for-profit. Probably a majority of them are not for-profit. And that could be in a variety of areas. We also work with student startups that yeah. are these pitch competitions that you're hearing about right. across campus, whether that's in the School of Environmental uh, or the business school, you know, depending on where it is, students may be referred to the clinic for a particular service, like starting up structures, uh, maybe a contract, possibly a state trademark. They're looking for straight, uh, we do some IP, some very limited IP, Right. Uh, state trademarks, some copyright. Uh, maybe there's some documentation they want to get a copyright on. Right. And um, so there's a variety of work, a lot of uh, the 501c3 work. Right. And you can imagine the type of the, the range of businesses is almost infinite. Right. You, right. you know, from, you know, going to B school uh, that it could be, we could have you know, healthcare oriented grief counselors. We could have camps we could have you know a small up educational organization right. um, even a legal service not for profit you know something to that effect it could range right in the type of uh, businesses that students are seeing and on the for-profit side it may be a caterers um, auctioneers uh, those who have an idea that they you know maybe they're apparel they're selling some apparel mm -hmm. it, it ranges right right that's that is very cool that is very cool and so how does one to get into the clinic do you just apply um or do you have to have a certain background how does that work well you don't have to have a certain background that's a good thing you know but but here are there are some uh, uh requirements and mm -hmm. that is um so we have the application on the website the business law clinic application a student can all students can access it and drop it down and actually apply right. uh, to come into the clinic. There are those who have priority and the priority is typically a graduating senior 3L or 4L for the weekend program or uh -huh. maybe JD MBAs. It's when you're in your graduating year because the demand is so high, we know that it's, it's not going to be possible for second year students to participate. Right. So it's typically a pre preference there. The second is because the, there is a certificate in transactional law, there's a preference for students 
getting the certificate. But what happens is, you know, when you think about 18 students in a class per semester, that means yeah. we could bring in about 36. And if we have about 30 certificate students, they're not all doing the business law clinic because there's some other possibilities. But we can get in, you know, either half a dozen to 10 students who are not in the certificate program. Okay. That's excellent. And do they, you don't have to be pre-declared to do the transactional certificate program, do you? You just, you know, I'm doing the transactional certificate because I'm taking- that, That's what they, you just check the box. And then, but there is a separate application for the certificate. I don't cross check at the time that the application comes in. Yeah. Uh, but there is a, a, a separate application for the certificate in transactional law. And so in, in that there's requirements, there's- yeah. uh, You've got six requirements, uh, and then a securities reg, and biz org, and two tax classes, an experiential opportunity, and also an elective. So uh, pretty straightforward. And also 3.0 in all of, you know, an average. Yeah. You know, average in all those six um, requirements. Oh, excellent. How long has the business clinic been going at Loyola? Uh, it started in 1999. So it's been going on for 23 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have to do something big in the 25th, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple of years from now, <laughs> a quarter yeah. of a century. Yeah, that's, that is awesome. I, I, that is very cool. Because what I honestly didn't know coming into the interview is that uh, that doing transactional work, you didn't need a 7-Eleven license, but it still seems like both the 7-Eleven license and just like clinical work is preparing students for, you know, for their actual jobs, bridging exactly. that gap. It, exactly. It, and number one, it, these 7-Eleven students are under the supervision of attorneys. Right. That's one requirement. Right. And when you when you think about transactional, you know, so there's an attorney like myself and these students are make, helping to create this document, this contract. Right. We're helping to structure this, make, help a client decide which entity might be best under the supervision of an attorney. Right. But they are not going into court. Now imagine, you know, I suppose there could be commercial litigation where someone would want to go into court. We just right. don't do that because right. it's transactional. <laughs> no, sorry, if it's litigation, we can't help. We can't, right. can't intervene in that case. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And have you worked with 7-Eleven licensee at all? Or have you have you always been on the corporate transactional side? Or have you done litigation? You know, I have actually, actually, I have on occasion, you know, at different locations that yeah. I've taught at other schools. Yes. And I thought, well, maybe we'll just do it anyway. <laughs> it's transactional, but, um, and then I gave students the opportunity. And that was another reason I did it because uh, I was at another location where I did have students go into court. Oh. Uh, but it was on a specific, because we were doing some real estate re- oh, related so- yeah. Uh, condemnation work. It was uh, in, in the domain condemnation work uh-huh. because that was a function of that clinic and that we, we might as well then also get the 7-Eleven licenses. Gotcha. It wasn't, excuse me, but it wasn't 7-Eleven, but it was in uh, Missouri. And so they have a se- another number and like West Virginia, for example, is rule 10. Yeah. So Missouri is rule 13. Gotcha. Okay, that is cool. And you've always, have you always been focused on the clinical um, experiential learning of students? For the most part, yes. I mean, I have taught uh, doctrinal classes in the past. I taught uh, debtor-creditor law in in the past. Uh, And so I will teach a doctrinal class next semester. But much of my career has been experiential and, and, and hopefully, you know, helping students to become 
you know, just really better lawyers in the practice right. and ethical lawyers too, because we talk about ethics in the class as well. I know they get the class. There's a separate class right. of ethic professional responsibility, but we, we bring that heavily into our clinical uh, classes. That's excellent. That is excellent. And what sort of made you get into, or as you were deciding your path in, in academia, how did you decide sort of clinical uh, experiential learning was, was where you wanted to focus? Well, I think it was because of my background, actually, uh, in that I had done practice as a corporate counsel mm-hmm. on the one hand. I was from the south side of Chicago, so I knew the community, and I had gone to school on the north side, so right, north right. and south, and lived in Oak Park and, and North Naperville, so I knew the west of the suburbs. Right. Um, so I'm from the, uh, you know, the city and had that experience. And also was within the academy. And I thought the one, best way to bring all of that knowledge together and to share it with students was through experiential education. Uh, and so, because what happens in experiential, it's like, we know what the doctrines are, right? Now apply it. You're working with students and students have to go out and apply it. Right. So if you learn biz orgs in class and you learned about corporations and then you go, okay, you learned the corporate background. Now you have to have this client, the client who you have a conversation with, and they want to do this thing. So how would you best advise them? So I just thought with my background and my love of the city of Chicago, love of the state of Illinois, it was just the best way for me to bring it all together. That's yeah. really my thinking. That is very cool. So with the 7-Eleven or other licenses like it, now, of course, I know each state, they're, the nuances of each license is different. But were they, or, and certainly with the 7-Eleven, is it sort of public service, public sector focused jobs? Like I couldn't go have just a bunch of corporate clients, I assume. With this <laughs> right. it, it generally generally is for state agencies. And now, of course, with the amendment, federal courts yeah. and, and not for profits. Um, there was that period during the pandemic mm-hmm. where it was a, a rule that said, oh, you could do private practice. Uh, yeah, the 7-Eleven G rule. Yeah, G rule and that, but in it's sunset. So it's like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I saw that when it first happened. I was like, oh, that I mean, it makes sense because, you know, they everyone's trying to figure out how to how to properly deal with the pandemic. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, people were weren't able to sit for the bar. They were pushing it mm-hmm. back. And so it was like, well, if you can't sit for the bar, you should still be able to work in that you went to school all this time. <laughs> exactly. So that was just a taste of that. But generally, it's a not-for-profit, public sector, uh, state. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, and the one final question I have, sort of as it relates to the clinic, um, and just like that experiential learning in the clinic, the business law clinic, but perhaps generally at Loyola Law, the clinic is just for like credit. So, so there's a couple of things with your question. One is, you know, the students are, they work in the clinics and they do this pro bono. So yeah. the client, there's no uh, charge to any of our clients. They, yeah. they do not pay anything and the students get credit for that experience. And so, and if they went out into the, like an externship situation, they would get credit for that externship they're not necessarily getting, they definitely are not, are not getting compensated by the client. Right. That's a no-no under the rule. Right. Now, whether that, that particular agency provides something that's different, but uh, they definitely cannot get compensated by the client. Right. 
Excellent. Uh, so under the 7-Eleven license, what can 7-Eleven licensees do versus not do? I know, for example, at least that, you know, if, it, if it's a case that deals with somebody possibly being in prison, they can't be the main attorney on that. They can't duck. Yeah, for sure either. not. No. Yeah. Right? In terms of the responsibilities, the 7-Eleven student is under the supervision of mm -hmm. an attorney. So it would be definitely not contemplated by the role for that student to run in and be running in the court by themselves, not being supervised, not having consultation with a supervised attorney. Right. And so the, the state provides a two-hour training, and I believe you can get MCL, you can get CLE credit yeah. to share the knowledge about what a supervisor needs to be to do with their students they can't just let them run free and they go on a vacation <laughs> <to Bahamas. laughs> it right. doesn't work like that right. so they need supervision and the rule sets out well they can do a lot of things you know they could they could uh, prepare a brief under the supervision of the attorney they could go in the court and file their brief once they for instance yeah this is the date to file it but it still should be supervised right right no makes right. Sense. um well i think I this amendment is going to be very helpful i am jumping in here because the interview was done via zoom we started having connectivity issues uh which affected part of the interview and so we're going to jump right back into the interview with professor lee discussing the amendments to rule 711 the amendment went into effect in August of 2022, which allows for employment at federal government agencies practicing in the federal courts in Illinois, and for a license holder to appear in the federal courts when permitted by applicable federal rules. Uh, you were talking about working in federal court. Right. I mentioned that, you know, with the amendment, uh, clearly it expands the agencies that could allow for 7-Eleven students to practice in the federal court mm. and it expands on the work that the services that they could provide right uh, so so and I can only imagine the different types of services that might include whether it's immigration or um, might it be like federal criminal cases potentially uh, various matters that have, you know, a, a greater amount of dollar amount and conflicts, you know, yes. so it, it, it's just wide open. And I, I look forward to hearing more about what agencies do start to have students working in this pro bono area. Right, right. And this might sound like a, a ridiculous question, um, but I, I wonder, do you feel like um, folks who go through experiential learning opportunities, whether it's a business clinic or, you know, a, a child law clinic or any other experiential, are they better prepared to practice? Have, do you have an example of, of someone who um, has gone through an experiential learning program and someone who has not? Anything that sort of, I don't know, demonstrates the difference of, of a student's preparedness after going through a clinic versus not? Well, I can give you a variety of reasons. I, I definitely, you've asked uh, the believer in this. Yes. And I, I truly believe that students who do experiential education learn a great deal. And especially in the context of law, you know, in terms of legal experiential education, they learn, uh, number one, about themselves. Because mm -hmm. now you're placed in the practice of law and you get an opportunity to learn in this environment with supervision because you're going to go out into the world and, you know, once you get that license, it could be you, 
making that decision. Right. Now it's you thinking that might be the right decision, but you have someone to that, say, that. oh, you know what? Think twice about it. Go here. Look at the ethical considerations. So it's an opportunity to test out, you know, how you operate in that circumstance. And I think number two, we see that students get a leg up with respect to that client inter interaction, the client intervention, because that first time you meet a client, it's a little scary. <laughs> you know? You're like, ah, okay. So they, so the idea of meeting a client and then meeting another client and then having a second meeting with a client at at some point it just becomes like, you know, going to law school. Right. You get experience with people, just people, transactions, situations, and we try to give them various benchmarks to to learn. You know, so yeah. you know, draft a contract, structure a deal. You know, do this you know, different things do the 501c3. So yeah. there are things that it's like, check, check, check. So when they go, and I, I just heard a story the other day where a student said, oh, Professor Lee, they, they called and they asked me and they said, uh, could you could you do this? It was like a tax exemption or something. Yeah, I did two or three of those already. And so they jumped right into it. Yeah, um, I've had law firms call and ask whether there was a way to have students do, who and this is more in the past, right? Did not have a business law clinic. Could they participate? And so, well, these clinics are for the students at school, <laughs> <laughs> not for attorneys. <laughs> well, no. So the only time we see any any that's when they graduate and they are public interest law clinic attorneys, maybe. Yeah. So um, there's lots of examples. I think I my goal is transformational to mm -hmm. help students transform. Firm and and with their own smart goals, like if they are choosing to do uh, certain, you know, goals in their life, you know, yeah. how do you start to actualize those goals within a clinical setting? Yeah, no, that is fair. And final question: so, being that we are coming up on the twenty fifth anniversary of of the clinic, and just like being forward looking, what is your goal for the clinic overall? Whether to to grow it to be the premier clinic. Like what, what is that goal that you are, are working towards as the director? That is an exciting goal to be the premier clinic. I like that. Um, definitely the goal, the big goals are within the center for business law mm -hmm. to, to expand the, the vision of, you know, our mission to really have an impact in our communities mm -hmm. with respect to you know, whether it's productivity and, and people doing better in the, in the community, um, students engagement, more education. One thing I think about is with financial literacy, with respect to our clients, so many people have great goals, but their connectedness to financial literacy is not good. And yeah. so what impact can we have there? How can we bridge that gap? Yeah. Um, and so then within clinical settings to be able to give the clients the kind of services that they need. And we have long waiting lists right now. It's never <laughs> we have long waiting lists for the clinic. We have long waiting lists for the clients. And so how do we, you know, like what's the best way to manage that, which is almost a business puzzle, right? <laughs> right, right. Puzzle in terms of pro bono. I once went to an econ uh, economics um, workshop and I asked, I raised my hand and said, every, the harder I work, the more my, my list gets longer and they did the uh, the curves yeah he said it's when you're nice. when you're when you are pro bono it's infinity and they showed me that 
if you know hard, you can work really hard, but if you're not charging, it's infinity. When you when you're great at something and you're in a big firm, for example, you know the better you are, the more you charge. Mm -hmm. Okay, you charge a thousand dollars an hour, and then all of a sudden, two people need your services. Okay. Because <laughs> the whole can't afford it. Right. So so yeah. So that's the issue we have. That there's plenty of people who would like to get legal services, but the access to legal services is just it's. The access to the problem and the demand is great. Right, right. No, that is that is very fair. That makes total sense, and takes me back to my econ classes in undergrad, talking about the there you go, the <laughs> magic <laughs> Right, exactly. I did, exactly. I did forget to mention one thing. I then I just wanted to, to say earlier when you were asking about me, another part of my time. Yeah. I am the advisor for the Business Law Society, and they're mm -hmm. doing such great work this semester. I'm so proud of them. Yeah. Uh, and I also am on the faculty council, which allows me an opportunity to see what other faculty are doing across the. Uh, across campuses, the three yeah. campuses, Water Tower, Lakeshore, and Health Science. So uh, so that takes up a little bit of my time, too. Yeah, no, I, I, I was looking at your CV. I could tell you are quite busy, and you're still publishing and still doing research. So kudos to you. Thank <laughs> you, thank you, thank you. And, and, and kudos to you and the podcast. I, I, this yeah. is terrific. I'm, I'm uh, very impressed. Yes, excellent. Well, I appreciate your time. That's all from us here at The Povicate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepovicate at gmail.com. Visit our website, thepovicate.com, for more information on this episode and our guest. The Povicate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Christy Paredes and Marissa Palowitz. Our associate editors are Neko Ugu, Marcus McNeil, Andy Vandenbush, and Casey Callahan. Special thanks to Professor John Dane and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Povicate.